How many people are ready for a word today? We have been in a series, kind of a series, I guess, called Missions and Outreach over the last few weeks. We're wrapping that up today. And the, the focus, the heart, has really been uh, to bring awareness to our congregation, all of us, all of our campuses, and the things that we're doing together to advance God's work. We spoke about a lot of our global extensions, which are organizations around the world that we are partnering with to help advance the gospel and bring humanitarian support and aid into places that are very, very dark in the world where there is oppression and injustice. We're bringing humanitarian aid and support, but we're also bringing spiritual aid and support as well through those partnerships. I mentioned that we really have a heart to see the missions program developed and expanded here at LCX. This is something over the next couple years I believe we're going to get more into where we're looking for people that have a passion and a heart for missions to help us organize and plan. They have that gifting uh, missions trips that we'll be able to take annually, partner with both of our campuses in doing that. Also, to just really see Life Church X be fertile ground for people that have a, a call and a heart to the missions field for that to be stirred up in them, for them to be equipped and resourced while they're here, and for us to play a part in helping to send them into the missions field, into the area where God may be calling them. We're going to be a sending church. I believe that with all my heart. Not just in planting campuses or other churches, but in sending missionaries. So we talked about global extensions, and then we dedicated an entire week to our local extensions, which that was really good last week if you were here, wasn't it? Had all of our partners from the local community here. And these are organizations that we come alongside of locally. We help to support them by holding up their arms, advance the great work that they're already doing, bringing financial support, but also volunteer opportunities with uh, folks in our congregation that have giftings and passions for those things. We talked a little bit about extreme service uh, and how that's being the hands and feet of Jesus in our community, working with community leaders and officials to identify major needs that are going unmet right now and how we can do something to fix them. People who aren't afraid, Don, of a little blood, sweat, and tears and getting their hands dirty on a weekend project, getting out, helping somebody that's in need, but also praying for them, sharing the gospel, all those kinds of things, right? We're doing that with no strings attached because there are people in the community, much like all communities, that they have said this, they've made a declaration, which I don't believe is something that will stand forever, but they are not going to step foot inside a building of a church. That's just where they're at right now. That's okay. We'll meet them where they are. We'll serve them with no strings attached, show them the love of God, and believe for God to meet them right there where they are, because he's not bound by proximity, right? He goes wherever we go. So anyway, um, so that was local extensions. And then a couple other things that I just want to mention to you that are sort of a part of this missions and outreach category for us that we look to help with and support and serve within our communities is, number one, what we call benevolence ministry, which is when people are in different types of hardships, financial hardship, crisis. I mean, we've seen a lot of that over the last couple of years, more so than has ever been the case since I've been in ministry. Lots of financial hardship. Because of the giving and generosity of this church, you know, I just want you to understand. The Bible tells us in the book of Galatians, it says, we are to do good to everyone we can, that we have the ability to do so. But listen to this, this is very important. It says, especially those of the household of God. We take care of our own. We take care of those in the family of God. We want to make sure that those who are hurting are being lifted up so that we can be healthy to serve those who are really hurting and really in need out there, who are spiritually bankrupt and poor. And so we've, we've helped a lot with financial support and financial aid to different types of hardship situations. That's part of what our missions and outreach funds go to. And then the last thing is we are contending in a large way for church unity. Church unity. Uh, as the senior pastor of Life Church X, I dedicate a, a substantial amount of my time and energy to building relationships with other churches and other pastors. You know, we say here that we want to make a regional impact for the body of Christ, right? We want to help to elevate the health of the body of Christ in our region. The Lord spoke to me a couple years ago, Jesse said, 
in order for this to happen on the level that you're seeing it, you're going to ha- church unity is a necessity. There's going to have to be unity amongst the churches in order for the region to really be impacted the way that you're seeing it. And so that's a big part of my role, I believe, is to build relationships with other churches, contend for church unity. Uh, through the last couple of years, part of our missions outreach and you know this church unity category of that, we have been able to bless and help other churches who have been in hardship and who have been in need. There was a church that actually suffered a fire up by our Jerseyville location. We were able to help and bless them and resource them. Uh, there was a church that we're good friends with where the pastor, I found out, uh, who's a friend, the pastor had gone weeks without receiving a paycheck. And I said, well, we're going we're gonna to pay him, we're going to pay his paycheck this week. So we, we blessed him and we paid the pastor's salary for that week and helped his family so that they had resources because they were going without while they were serving the church. And then there was another church that we have a relationship with where their air conditioner broke down. They didn't have the financial means to be able to help that. And we were able to pay for all of the repairs, get their air conditioner back up and running in the middle of the heat of summer last year. I'm just trying to tell you some of the things um, that we do to really focus on missions and outreach in all these areas. And we have committed uh, over the last few years as a church that we set aside... 10% of what comes into the general revenue here at Life Church X, we set aside 10% to go, toward, to go right back out as soon as it comes in to missions and outreach programs and all the types of things that I just shared with you. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you, okay? But listen, we forecast and set an annual budget every single year. At the end of the year, we do that for the, file, for the next year. So we have to forecast what we think and what we believe it's going to look like, based largely by history and trajectory and trends, right? Well, when we do that, we immediately forecast what we think, and then we take 10% right off of that, and that's going out, and then we set the annual budget off of what's left. I just want to tell you, that requires constant faith and trust that God's going to do what He says He's going to do. Amen? And we do this because the Lord, he spoke to me back in 2018, and he shared a word with me that I want to share with you today. And it's about the blessing that God will bring upon a generous church, upon a generous people. Are you ready for that message this morning? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the book of Genesis chapter 12. And these verses are probably not going to be unfamiliar to many of you, but I want to read the first few verses here. This is the kind of beginning of the promised covenant to Father Abraham over the Jewish people uh, by God early on, of course, in the book of Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, this one, his name was still Abram before he changed it to Abraham, get out of your country from your family And from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you, God, to speak to us today. I feel that we're treading into something big today. Oh, Holy Spirit, I've been feeling you move since the moment I walked in here, and I have nothing but high expectations for what you're going to do throughout the rest of this day. Lord, we pray that you would move in this place. Holy Spirit, I pray you take the room. That this be your place, you do whatever you want to do. This is your house, not our house, God. And we ask you to do whatever it is that you want to do today. I say in the name of Jesus Christ right now, I come against any spirit of division. 
I come against any spirit of distraction. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bind any spirit of confusion that is tormenting or afflicting anyone now with any false doctrine, any false theology, any false views of our loving Father God. Spirit of confusion, I bind you right now. I say release their mind. Let them hear the Word of God in its purity today. I ask you, Lord, that you would drench us. (laughs) Drench our hearts with your love. Drench our minds with your thoughts Lord, drench us with your ways today. I ask that you'd speak through me. Use me, Lord, just your tool, your instrument. I'm just this vessel of clay. I am not amiss about that. But Lord, I pray that you would anoint me to do what you've called me to do here this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, I was kind of excited through the worship and then through the transition as Pastor Guy and Pastor Katie were speaking today. Because frankly, they were dancing all over my message this morning, and they didn't even know that. But we'll get there in a bit. So Genesis chapter 12, God's speaking about this blessing, right, Greg, this covenant for the, the people of Israel. And I love this part where he says, I'll bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. You need to stop worrying about people that are intending harm for you. You, you need to stop worrying about that. Do you need to deal with it? Yeah, sure. But do you need to worry about it? Absolutely not. God is your defender. He says, I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. We've got to reconcile this thing that God's timing is in our timing. And sometimes it doesn't look the way we think it needs to look. But I'm just telling you, it's a promise of God. You need to stop worrying about people who are trying to do you harm. God's got your back. Okay? God has got your back. You need to sleep easy at night. You need to rest well. The Bible says that your rest should be sweet. Stop losing sleep over people who are conspiring to do harm to you or who are conspiring to slander your reputation. You don't need to worry about it. God has got your back. He's going to bless those who bless you. He's going to curse those who curse you. It's a promise in the Bible and you can stand on it. He says that I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And this is what I really want to draw out of this text right here. Is that God is saying to his people. He's saying to his church. He's saying to us. I want to bring abundance and overflow into your hands. Not just physical blessings. Sometimes we get stuck there and we don't progress beyond that. It's much greater than that. It's physical and spiritual riches abundance that God wants to bring into our hand. But listen, this is so key. It's not so you or I can live a luxurious lifestyle. That is not the purpose of this. And if that's what we use it for, then we're going to begin to compromise the future flow of the blessings of God. He says, I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing. You see, God's people are meant to be the leaders in society. We are meant to be the primary influencers in all the things that are happening in our world. The the church is not supposed to be this little quiet institution compartmentalized over here outside of society and we all just keep our faith really quiet. That's not it. He says, I'm going to bless you so much that it's uh, it's going to be impossible to ignore by those who are living in the sphere or the region around you. We are meant to be the leaders in society. You see, this promise that God was making to Abraham, let me just get this established for you, some kind of sound doctrine here. This promise passed to us as children of God through the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Was he making it originally to Abraham and the, and the Jewish people? Yes, he was. But listen to this, Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, in the Amplified Translation It says, if you belong to Christ, if you are in him, then you are Abraham's descendants, spiritual heirs, perhaps not physical, but spiritual heirs, according to God's promises, right? So we receive the promises by faith in Christ that God gave to Abraham for the chosen people. Now, we don't believe 
in what's called replacement theology, which means that the church replaces Israel and the covenant to Israel. We believe this is added on, and it's the fulfillment of what was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. But there very much is still a promise to the Jewish people and to God's chosen people for that land and for their inheritance and for their destiny. All right, But we receive that by faith as heirs in Jesus Christ. Notice he says, you are spiritual descendants. It's a spiritual promise, not a physical promise. So God's people are called to be generous. God's people are called to be leaders in society. We are called to be generous to the family of God and to the foreigner and the stranger in our land. And this generosity is a mark that distinguishes God's people. It's part of what sets us apart and makes us to stand out. Those blessings are meant to flow to us so that we can be like a river that's irrigating all of the land around us. Little tributaries just flowing out everywhere to improve the health and vibrancy and vitality, not just physically but spiritually. We are stewarding the spiritual climate of our region as we do this, improving things for the body of Christ. I remember when I was a kid, Mike. I had, uh, at our house where my parents lived, there was a creek down back behind there. We used to go back and hike and play in the creek all the time. Anybody have a creek when you were kids that you used to go play in? Anybody still go play in the creek? All right, just to be honest, you know, I was just down there yesterday. Uh, and when it would rain really heavy, we would go down and there was this place where we would build a dam. We would just kind of like dam up this section with a bunch of rocks and stuff and then that, that water that was flowing in, it would begin to swell, and it would create like a swimming pool. It was so much fun as a kid. And what we were trying to do is trap the water, trying to kind of keep it there. And then it would fill, it would fill, it would fill, and then eventually it'd get to the top, but something interesting happened when it did. It began to overflow. It actually started pouring over the dam. It started swelling around the banks and widening the bank, and then it began to kind of break through the dam and cracks would fall out and it would just pouring out. Why? Because that water was not meant to stop and just be a reservoir. It was a continual stream that was meant to keep flowing. This is what I'm trying to tell you when I paint that picture in your mind is that you are meant to be a river, not a reservoir. Your banks are meant to overflow. God wants to give you everything you need, but he wants to give you abundance so that there is enough to do all the work that God is calling you to do for everyone and everything around you to display his love and his generosity. Why? Because he's a generous God. In fact, it's part of his character. He gave His only begotten Son. You see, when we are extravagantly generous, we are reflecting the very image of our Creator, the one who bought us at a precious price, who displayed extravagant generosity when He did. So it's our call to do that. So the title of the message today, let me actually say this. This is a question I want you to ask yourself through the message first. What are you prepared to do with abundance? What am I prepared to do with abundance? The title of the message, if you're taking notes, is the blessing of the firstborn. And this is the word the Lord spoke to me back in 2018 that kind of paved the way for how we strategically go about being a generous church. Right? I'm not saying that the way we do it is the way every church should do that. I, I don't believe that. I just think it's the way God's told us to do it, and so that's what we're doing, okay? But this is the word that the Lord spoke to me back in 2018. I want to share it with you today because I believe that it's a word that will affect the culture of the church. And that's what's important. It's not enough for me to get up and say, well, we want to be a generous church. We want to impact our region. That needs to be the culture in the hearts of the people if it's ever going to go anywhere. Does that make sense? And so the blessing of the firstborn, if you read the Bible, you will find throughout the scriptures, but going all the way back into the beginning of the Old Testament, there is a principle about a blessing of the firstborn. Okay? What is that? The firstborn male in every family, by God's design, was meant to receive an extra blessing. How many people are firstborn children in the room? Right? Like, yeah, all right, firstborn. 
Hang on. <laughs> Don't get too excited yet. The firstborn male in every family was meant to receive. You can go to Deuteronomy chapter 21. I'm going to throw some scriptures around. You may want to be taking notes today because I won't have time to read all these verses to you. But Deuteronomy 21, it says that the firstborn male would receive a double portion of the father's blessing. A double portion. The rest of the family members still got blessed. That's important to note. Nobody was neglected or shunned. Everybody got a blessing from the father. But the firstborn male got a double portion. Now, what's also interesting to note is that you will see that there are times where just being the firstborn child in order or rank did not automatically imply that that child would receive the double portion blessing. Let me give you some examples. Isaac. One of you talked about that earlier. Isaac was the son of promise to Abraham. He was heir to the blessing. But Ishmael was the firstborn physical son. Ishmael represented forcing your own will instead of walking in God's will, but it did not negate the son of promise, Isaac, to receive that firstborn blessing. Okay? Esau was born before Jacob, but Esau, the Bible says in Genesis, despised his blessing from his father. It actually tells us this in the New Testament as well. It says that for a simple meal... For one meal of food, Esau traded and sold his birthright so that he could be temporarily satisfied. In the New Testament, it tells us that we should not be careless with the blessings of God as Esau was, selling it away for something temporal and something trivial. Hallelujah. Amen. That's speaking to anybody today. Reuben, who was Jacob's firstborn son, initially would have been rightful heir to the blessing of the firstborn, it says that Reuben disgraced his father. He lay with his concubine. And so when Jacob was blessing all of his children, Reuben was passed by. He says, Reuben, you are the first and the most powerful. Nevertheless, you will not be first in the blessing. So we have a despising blessing. We have disgracing the blessing. One last example I'll give you. Elisha was not a physical son of Elijah, But the Bible makes it clear in the book of Kings that Elisha received a double portion of the spiritual mantle that was on Elijah. He was a spiritual son, not a physical son. Oh, there's foreshadow there I don't have time to get into. But he ended up doing precisely twice the miracles, I should say God did through him, twice the miracles that he did through the prophet Elijah, because there was a double portion blessing on him. Are you understand what I'm saying here? There is a real thing as a double portion blessing for the firstborn. Point number one, which I should have said before, if you were taking notes, is the reward. What is the blessing? It's the double portion that I just explained to you. Point number two is the responsibility. The responsibility. So why does the firstborn get the double portion? Right? It's sometimes, you know, firstborn child's like, hey, I get to stay up late because I am the firstborn, right? I'm the oldest. I get to do this. I get the extra privileges. And they're all excited to be the firstborn when the blessings are coming. But then when it's like, hey, you're the oldest, you need to have more responsibility, you need to look out for your younger siblings, "Ah, I'm not so sure I like this firstborn thing anymore, you know? I think sometimes that uh, when people are accepting the responsibility of being the firstborn, that they could be misunderstood, and not just firstborn in in a family, but just kind of accepting that responsibility that comes along with extra privilege, right? That sometimes people are misunderstood, aren't they? Folks around them want to say, oh, they've got it easy. Oh, they are so lucky. Oh, I just, I wish I had what they had. If I did, then I would do this, right? But they rarely understand the responsibility and the extra sacrifice that comes along with that additional privilege. 
I, I love the quote by Dave Ramsey. You all know Dave Ramsey, right? The financial guru. Great material, by the way. He says, uh, yeah, I just finally came to the conclusion after all the years of people saying I made it, I was lucky, you know, uh, they wish they had what I had. Uh, he says it this way, I was a 20-year overnight success. Pretty well describes it, right? So what are the responsibilities of the firstborn in the Scripture? Well, it's pretty simple. They were given the double portion so that they could take care of the rest of the family and the father's estate. They were tasked with the responsibility of carrying on the name and the legacy of the family. They cared for the rest of the family and they cared for the servants and the strangers in the region. They were identified as people of God by the way the firstborn stewarded stewarded the double portion of the father's blessing. There was a responsibility that came with that. You see, the firstborn doesn't just step into luxury and immediately start getting served by everyone else the firstborn actually accepts and embraces the responsibility of the double portion and lives a life that requires them to lay down much of their own comfort and pleasantry for the care of everyone else. Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, to much who is given, much is required. So physical, practical needs of the hurting of the broken around them of those in the family of God, we would say it that way, we are, as, as the firstborn, tasked with the responsibility of caring for it, right? But listen to this. This is interesting. And I don't have time to fully unpack all this, okay? But this is, you'll see this a lot in Exodus, is that uh, the firstborn was also responsible for drawing near to God, ministering to God, and then ministering to the rest of the family, They were priestly. The tribe of Levi ended up actually replacing the firstborn of all the other tribes to become the priestly tribe. But the point of that is they would draw near to the Lord in worship, in offerings and sacrifice and praise, minister to the Lord, and then minister to the rest of the family of God and the strangers in the land of God's goodness and who He was. So very simply put, the responsibility of the blessing of the firstborn is to care for the practical and the spiritual needs of the family of God and for those who are the stranger or foreigner to God in the land. Does that make sense? Now here's where this gets really good. Hebrews chapter 12, Pastor Guy actually sang about this today when he said, we are registered in heaven. Do you remember that song? I think it was song number two, Pastor Guy, right? Registered in heaven. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, we in Christ are the church of the firstborn, registered in heaven. Now when he was speaking, this is uh, in Hebrews, when the author is speaking to the people, they are well aware of Roman principles and laws that say, because many of the Jews were also Roman citizens, and it says that they were registered, many of them were, had to be registered as Roman citizens. And listen to this, once they got registered, then they would actually be authorized to receive the rights and privileges that came along with that citizenship. I hope you see where I'm going with this. You see, there was a principle of the firstborn blessing in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. It did pass to the firstborn son. It was circumvented in times where they disgraced or despised that blessing so that those who would embrace and accept the responsibility would carry it forward. But it was a foreshadow to a greater promise, to a greater fulfillment that was, uh, that was fulfilled in Christ Jesus that said, as all those who are washed in the blood of the new covenant or are registered in heaven are now spiritually heirs to the firstborn status, the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. This is what I'm trying to tell you today. If you will accept the responsibility that comes along with the extra blessing with the abundance that God wants to bring to care for those in the family of God and to care for those who are the strangers in the land. God says your river, the the river that will flow will cause your banks to overflow so much so that you will never have enough storehouses to contain it. 
But if we try to store it up for ourselves or we try to begin to live a life that focuses on self and self-pleasure, like many do when they step into extravagance, then God says, I will begin to cut off that supply because that is not the reason for which I intend the abundance to come to you for. So number three is the result. What is the result of this? Matthew chapter 14. We know the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? Let's read this really quick. Verse 13, uh, 14. Jesus went out and saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them, and He healed their sick. When it was evening, His disciples came to Him saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. So you see what the disciples want to do, right? They want to send the people away. But Jesus has a different response. Because he's thinking about the economy of heaven, not the economy of the world. And he says, uh, they don't need to go away. Give them something to eat. And they said to him, uh, we only have five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here. And then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven. He blessed it. He broke it. Now listen to this. And he, and, uh, he blessed it and he broke it. And then he gave it to the disciples to give to the multitudes. Do you see what's happening? He's putting it back in their hands. I want you to see that. So they all ate, were all filled. They took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained And now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Let me just just give you a comparison of the world's natural economy that you can live by if you want to, or God's economy that you have access to, but you must live by faith in order to access. The world's economy says five loaves plus two fish equals seven. Five plus two equals seven. God's economy says five loaves plus two fish equals 5,000 men, and who knows how many women and children fed with the remainder of 12 baskets. I'm trying to tell you, it's not natural law in the economy of God, but we have to live it by faith, not by sight, if we want to access that, right? So what did the disciples do? The disciples initially saw the lack. You see, rarely does the need and the current supply that we see match up. So they were put in an interesting situation that I believe you and I are probably put into on a regular basis too. Maybe we just don't realize it. They see the lack, and it doesn't match up. And what do they want to do? They want to send the, the, the rest of the multitude away. You see, they're kind of driven by fear now. They're driven by a motivation of, of fear. We're not going to have enough. We need to kind of gather in hoard for ourselves. We need to protect. There's scarcity here, Jesus. Don't you understand? There's thousands of them out there, and all we have is a couple fish and a few loaves of bread. But see, Jesus doesn't see things that way. He says, here's what I want you to do. Give it to me. So what do we do? We bring Jesus what we have. You, you don't, I don't know if you realize this, but whatever God's asking you to do, you have enough right now to take the next steps in doing what God's asking you to do. The question is, will we bring it to him? They lay it down and he says, okay, I bless it. But notice this, he gives it back to the disciples. He says, he could do anything, right? He could just make it pop up on plates right in front of everybody's face, but he doesn't do that. He says, here's the way I work. I want you to partner with me. You bring it to me. You submit it to me. You have some faith. I'll handle the multiplication. But he puts it back into their hands and they're responsible for the distribution. I'm trying to tell you that church, we are responsible as the hands and feet of Jesus for the distribution of God's resources to the poor, the broken, the hurting, the spiritually bankrupt and desolate in our land. God says, I will bring you extravagant supply, not just practical monetary needs, but spiritual riches to lay hands on sick, to cast out demonic strongholds. Do you even know what you have access to? If you will just distribute that by faith to all those around you who are in need, I'm telling you, the banks of your rivers will overflow. There will always be more than enough coming your way. 
You see, Jesus, he says in his verses, he says, they don't have, uh, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. I got to tell you, Jesus, he cares about the meal. He cares that they're hungry that night, but he cares where more about the spiritual health of these people. They're directionless, aimless. They've got no spiritual guidance. They've got no shepherd. People in our world right now, guys, am, am, am I, are you with me? They're lost, man. I mean, they're chasing stuff. It's like, I can't even believe people are falling for these things anymore. I mean, it's become so crazy. People are chasing things to find answers and solutions to things. And here we are, sitting here in the church, and Jesus is the answer to any and every need you could ever have. It's right here, and we are to be dispensers, distributors of this grace for God. He says, I'm asking you to partner with me, disciples, those who follow me. You're the ones I want to put the resources in the hands of so that you can spread it and share it to the rest of the world. You see, we are extravagantly blessed and resourced so that we can advance the kingdom of God. So fear is a huge limit, limiter to this abundance and supply. We've got to hoard, we've got to keep. But listen to me. The other huge, and, and I believe both of these are spirits, not just emotions, okay? The other one is greed. And you see this a couple chapters later when Jesus feeds the 4,000. He says this, he says, you need to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Because it'll pollute everything. What's the leaven of the Pharisees? It's, listen, selfishness and exploitation. Here's what they were doing. They were hyper-spiritual. They were the religious elite. Boy, they thought a lot of themselves. They had it together, and they wanted the people to know that they had it together. They wanted the people to come to them and look to them. Meanwhile, what they were doing is they were living fat on the calf, and people were suffering and hurting around them. And Jesus says, you need to beware of that. Because this is, this is what the Lord was really putting upon my heart with this. He said, I never, when I promised abundance, I think this is where some of the people in my church today are getting this wrong. I do promise abundance, but I never promised luxury. I I never said that. And you got to hear me, okay? I've got nice things. I'm not saying that it's a sin to have nice things. If you go home and try to sell everything you own today, you, you didn't hear me, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But I do think that there is a place that people can get to where they're hardened in their heart, where they hold on too tightly to luxury as the means to disperse their abundance, and then eventually they're unwilling to be generous. <laughs> they're, they're, they, they think they're being generous, but they're not because they're only giving to the point it actually doesn't cost them anything. And true generosity, I'm just going to tell you, I, I want to help you, uh, is it's going to cost you something. It's going to be giving to that point. Time, talent, treasure, all those things because we're here to serve the master, not ourselves, right? These resources are to advance his kingdom, not our own. But when we get that and we hook in with that, I'm just telling you, there's no better way to live. You know why? Because these things, the spirit of mammon will never have a hold of you. It just, you just hold it all loosely. Paul says, I, when I've had a lot or when I've had little, it didn't really matter to me. I've been fine either way. Right? This is the place that we get to, which is the place of spiritual strength and maturity. And so the leaven of the Pharisees is something we have to be aware of. It's not a prosperity gospel, and it's not a poverty gospel. Jesus doesn't ask us to take a vow of poverty and never have anything, but he doesn't say we're going to have prosperity to the point we have every luxury we want. It's not a prosperity gospel. It's not a providential or a, a uh, poverty gospel, it is a providential gospel. It is meant to provide every need that we have and the needs of all around us who God is calling us to minister to. There will be no lack in the supply from the kingdom of God. The issue is never supply. Our Father has more than enough. There is never an issue of lack of supply. The question is, as I asked you in the beginning, what am I prepared to do with abundance? Now, close with this kind of ending point is God goes, He has to go out of His way throughout many different times in the Bible to use prophets to go to His people and rebuke and chastise them for slipping into this place of luxurious living 
and denying the needs of the hurting and broken around them. The prophet Isaiah was probably the most well-known for that. In Isaiah chapter 3, you can read this. He says, uh, I'm going to take away your luxuries if you don't start doing what I'm giving you them to do. And he actually warns of a reversal. He says, instead of a sweet smell of aroma, there's going to be a stench. Instead of a full head of hair, there's going to be bald heads. Some people are like, whoa, oh man, I'm not listening to God, oh my gosh. <laughs> he said, instead of fine robes, there's going to be sackcloth. What he's telling us is that if you're, not, if you're not careful, if you're not going to steward these things, I'm going to reverse the condition. It's inevitable. It's going to come. When and how? I mean, the prophet warned them, and they didn't think it was going to happen, and then it happened. They ended up in captivity. Okay, there's going to be a reversal if you don't steward these things well. And then you go up into Isaiah chapter 58, and I want to read a few of these verses to you. Follow with me back there if you can. This would be challenging, but let's go to verse 3. The people say, why have we fasted and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. So stop right there. Here's what's happening. The people are spiritually and religiously getting it done. I mean, they're, they're hitting it out of the park. They're fasting. They're doing all these things, right? Which are good in themselves, but in this case, God says, I, this, is, this, is, this means nothing to me. Why does it mean nothing to him? He says, because you are ignoring the needs of all the hurting and broken in the region around you. You have become content on your own luxury, and you are hoarding up all the blessings for yourself. You are not dispensing and distributing them to all who are in need, which is why I gave them to you to begin with. Listen, jump down to verse 5. He says to them this, is this a fast that I have chosen? Which is what he's saying is, I didn't call you to this fast. You're doing this to prove something to yourself. You're doing this to look good, to pat yourself on the back. Oh, I can do this. I'm so religious and spiritual. And he's rebuking them for this. He says, would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Verse 6, this is not a fast that I, is, is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness? to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you would break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you would cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? You see that. He's saying, I'm not asking you to just do a fast and feel good about not eating. I'm telling you, this is the fast that I want. This is the sacrifice and the service that I'm looking for of laying yourself down. Not to just deny yourself food, but to deny yourself pleasure so that you can serve one another and you can bless one another with the riches and the generosity of a loving Father who's blessing you. You have denied that, and so I am warning you, I'm going to cut you off. That supply is not going to continue if you're not going to steward it the way I'm asking you to. And then he goes on to say at the end of the chapter, this promise, which is, you know, he always turns the corner and says, but if you do, here's what you can expect. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought. He'll strengthen your bones. You'll be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, which means you stand in the gap and be intercessors for those who are hurting. And I will hear you and I will intervene. He says, you'll be restorers of streets that I will dwell in, which means turning the people back to God and the presence of God coming and filling and dwelling in the land in an increased and greater way than they're experiencing right now. Hallelujah. The heart of the generous, the heart of a generous church accomplishes much in the region for God's plans and purposes and his kingdom. Uh, amen. Amen. So let's just recap. There's a biblical promise for the, first, for the blessing of the firstborn. We are heirs to that kingdom as the church of the firstborn by the blood of Jesus Christ, but to much whom is given, much is required. What will we do 
with the abundance that God is promising. And I want to assure you, it has everything to do with what we do with what's already in our hands right now. If we're faithful with little, we cannot be trusted to be faithful in much. It's a spiritual principle. It's a test of God. The key to more is what you're doing with what you have right now. Many people don't get that. They think, when I have, when I get, when I get more, then I will be useful for God. And God's saying, you, you're, you're, you're missing it. I'm testing you right now, and you're failing the test. The key to more is what you're doing with what you have right now. Amen? So let me ask you this question. If you're here today, are you hurting? Are you broken? Are you spiritually poor? Are you directionless? Are you aimless? Are you trying to figure out the answers to questions and meanings in life? Are you struggling with all kinds of hurts and emotions? And you would say right now, I am in great need. I'm hurting. I'm broken. I'm I'm spiritually poor. I've got great news for you. God is here for you. We are here for you. There is no need. Hear me again. There is no need that you have physical, spiritual, emotional, that cannot be met. It cannot be met by our loving Father God, Jesus Himself. I'm going to ask you to receive prayer today if that's where you're at. And I want to encourage you to respond, to take a step towards God if that's the place that you're in. Would you just bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. If you would say, man, I, I'm hurting, I'm broken. I need Jesus today. I, I don't know where else to go. Pastor, I know you said a lot of things today, but man, some of the things that you said, they, they penetrated into some places in my heart. I didn't even know were there. I want to tell you something. This is not me. That's the Spirit of God and the Spirit of conviction drawing near to you right now in your time of need. This is an open invitation, but you have to receive it. God can begin a work of healing and restoration. And listen to me, I want to I draw this arc. I want you to see this picture of the fullness of what can be there for you. God can bring healing and restoration so much to not just help with the need you have right now, but God can make you to where the banks of your river are overflowing, to where you are actually yourself able to become an irrigator of those who are around you who are hurting and broken and who are in need as well. Jesus won't just help your situation. Listen to me. He can reverse your situation. He can reverse it. He is the master of restoration. I do not care how dark you think it is right now. I don't care how far you are or how far you've went. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the bright and morning star. When darkness is over the land, the very first beam of light that breaks the horizon is that bright and morning star. And then immediately the light begins to dispel the darkness. If you will take a step today towards Jesus, you don't have to have everything figured out. But if you'll take a step of faith and obedience towards Him today, if you'll submit and you'll surrender, I promise you, you will see that light break over the horizon of the dark place that you are in right now, and you will begin to have hope, you will be filled with joy, peace, and you will begin to see how you can walk into a level of freedom that you are not experiencing right now. You say, I want that today. I am ready to give my heart to Jesus. My way of asking you to respond is to just raise your hand when I count to three and say, yes, I want that prayer, and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer before we go, and then God's going to begin to do the work now and from this point on. You say, yes, Pastor, I I need Jesus today. I want to take a step towards Him. My situation is dark, desolate, spiritually poor. That's me. One, two, three. Would you raise your hand all over this place? God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. 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 I just want to see your face as you, in the back, could you put your hand back up one more time? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see you too. Wow. Probably 10 or 12. 
No. I got great news for you. God's getting ready to show up. He's getting ready to do something that nothing else can do for you. Your task is surrender. You're not trying to impress God right here. You're just trying to surrender. Bring your heart to submission. Pray this prayer in your heart. Dear Father God, I surrender my life. I surrender my will. Picture that. Your will. That's just your decision making. Your faculties. Just what drives your decisions and everything you do. I surrender my will to you today, Jesus. Not my will, but yours. <laughs> Jesus, would you forgive me of any sin that's tainted this walk that I'm on? Any sin that's keeping me separated or distanced or desensitized from you, from that closeness with you, from hearing your voice? Would you wash me clean and remove whatever it is that might be in the way in between you and I right now? I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. And I know I can't find that anywhere else but in you, Jesus. And right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray and all the saints quietly pray. Holy Spirit, call me in refreshing wind. And I see the Spirit of God just moving His way in deeper, deeper, deeper getting into those cracks and crevices of broken places. I mean way down deep. Not surface stuff here I'm talking about, guys. He's getting down into the deep parts. You might not even mentally be able to make sense of this part right now. That's okay. Holy Spirit, get down in there. Repairer of the breach. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, God. Restore. Heal. Mend brokenhearted those who are spiritually bankrupt and poor that they would meet you and encounter you right now today Lord hallelujah there be a sweet peace of your presence over them right now but Father as they go as well and I pray that you would have angels guard them come against any effort because I know he will do this that the enemy will come I know this you need to know this too he's going to come very quickly and try to pluck up the seeds that were just sown today that's, his, that's what he does I'm coming against in Jesus name right now his efforts you trust and believe when he tries to do that God will keep those seeds down in that soil and he will let them grow roots. He will let them grow up healthy and strong and produce fruit in your life. You do not have to be afraid of the enemy. You are more than a conqueror. You are a victor. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Demons shudder at the name of Jesus. You got to know that they are afraid and they tremble. You have nothing to be afraid of, but you must walk by faith. Grow strong in your faith. We are here to help you do that. You need to get planted and connected into a good Bible-based, healthy church. We would love to help you do that here, but it needs to be somewhere so that you can keep growing strong in what God's created you to do. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for this work today. Amen. Amen.